podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Famous Fans and episode three, finally, after it feels like a long time since we've done episode one and two back in, back months ago, I think it was, it feels like. But yeah, we finally got episode three here and we're joined by um, former professional boxer and big Liverpool fan, Paul Smith. Paul, thanks so much for jumping on with us. I really, really appreciate it. No problem, Mick. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a mad way the way this has came about, isn't it? Because... I think it came about where, like, you saw one of my tweets about taking a piss out of Nat Phillips for how he trains for the Liverpool game by heading melons, <laughs> and then you loved it, and then <laughs> you liked it, and then followed me, and I was just like, that is just a fucking mad, mad interaction that I've just got it, and I think I'm, I think I had a few drinks at the time, I was sent you a message going, you've got to jump on a pod with me, and, and here we are, here we are, so, yeah, uh, yeah well, obviously good. really appreciate it. Thank Nat Phillips. <laughs> It's all Nat Phillips's fault. It's all Nat Phillips's yeah. fault. But yeah, what a guy. But uh, Paul, yeah, pl- absolute pleasure, mate. It's been a big fan for for a long time, and obviously as a fellow scout, so it's, uh, it's yeah, absolute legend of the game. So uh, we'll we'll get straight straight struck into it, um, if you, if you don't mind. And obviously, yeah, um, your support of Liverpool will come on to that towards the, the end of the video. But let's talk about like your early life and how, how it started for you. Obviously, growing up in Kirkdale in Liverpool. If I'm not mistaken, there. Um, yeah. Even before you got into boxing, what what was it that guided you in those early days? Um, did you decide quite early on that that boxing was going to be the path for you to excel in? Um, I did. Yeah, I, I was terrible at footy. <laughs> I don't know what it was, <laughs> but no, on a serious note, like I was in the school team and all up the football. I was just obsessed with boxing. Always wanted to be a boxer. Always had the Rocky films on. Always had the fight on. My dad was a big boxing fan. He did it as a kid, but was more of a, a bodybuilder. He was a dormer, me dad, when we were all growing up, we were kids, big fella. Um, still is. And just, our house was just more boxing. There's boxing news magazines on rather than the shoot magazine or whatever it was at the time. And I was more interested in who was winning the fights than whether who was winning the football, because it was always us at the time, Liverpool. But I loved Liverpool. I was a mad Liverpoolian. My mum's got five sisters. Six girls, all, all mad reds. My dad's a red. Um, my granddad, my dad's dad was a red. My mum's dad's a red. Obviously, so big family of reds. And um, like my sis, my mum's sisters, my aunties, they they had season tickets, still have. And their husbands, my uncles, um, through marriage, but they've been there since when I was born. So the, the basically, you know, the the, the the family to me and as close to me as as my aunties, they took me to the game. Luckily enough, I had John and his brother Brian, and um. I owe them a, a big debt of gratitude because it could have been the other way. It could have been a blue. It could have been a toffee. You know what I mean? It could have been a lot worse, <laughs> couldn't it? So, <laughs> first went the match. Um, but 1987, I think it was. 86, 87. I was only a kid. I was only, I was only like three or four. getting thrown over the bar. And I first went down the boxing gym when I was when I was nine. So, pre-1990. And... Um, as soon as I went in there, I just loved it. I, I used to spar with my brothers in the house with our Stephen, especially because he was closest uh, in age to me. But we just have tea towels on our hands or one glove where we had to pair of gloves until we got a bit more serious. And um, I went in and that was it. I loved it. Just got bit by the bug. And, and here I am now, maybe 30 years later, and I haven't looked back since. I've just, just been obsessed with boxing ever since then. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I was to be honest, that was one of my questions coming up about there. Because I, I did see an interview where you were talking about the um, the tea towels, and you had like one set of boxing gloves, yeah. and you had to like had to flip a coin over who was the right right glove and whatever else. Yeah. That's 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 a boss story. But yeah. like on, on yourself, though, like um, two silvers in in two thousand one Copenhagen Cup and uh, two thousand two Commonwealth uh, Games. Do you think those those experiences properly set you up for for the for the roof of professional boxing? Um, you know what I think just being in the, in the rotunda set set me up for the, the rest of it was was all like a learning curve and a bonus when when you first start boxing this is my opinion of it anyway you know it's changed recently with some kids now they don't want to they don't want to win the ABAs they don't want to just want to turn pro in the 16, 17 I've seen kids losing in, 
in the ABAs and you lose to a fella who's just too strong for them but we're as good as them and they're like I'll just turn pro and it's like what, what do you think the, what do you think the pros is any of them journeymen get a sniff that they can win that fight they're going to try and win the fight and they'll be too strong because the big strong mature fellas who fight every week against top pros on the way up so my, my ambition anyway to get back to the point was the, the traditional route you know time I wanted to be schoolboy champion I wanted that Union Jack on my shorts best in Britain or England England Wales at my age my school year and my weight and I did it and I was buzzing and I won the schools in 97 and then I done it again in 99 I lost in 98 and I lost in 96 I Stephen won them three times and the lads all followed so that's like your first that shows you can fight that shows you've got a bit about you if you can win a schoolboy title they're very hard to win then I wanted to win like the junior ABAs, which I did. I didn't win at NBCs. I got I got beat in the final. They're like the three tournaments you can go in national championships. And then I wanted to win a senior ABAs. I wanted to be ABA champion. Um, that means a lot to be ABA champion and, and to be the champion of, of Britain in, in your weight as an amateur. And I won the ABAs at like middle in 2002. So then from then, like the Commonwealth and them internationals, they sort of became just a bonus. I just wanted to be ABA champion. And then the goal sort of changed to, well, I want to go to the Olympics now and I want to try and qualify for the Olympics. And I got picked for the Commonwealth. So I was made up, I went to Commonwealth, I got a silver. And everything was going sort of to plan. I still had a lot of work to do and it was definitely no guarantee whatsoever that I wanted to qualify because it's hard to do. But they got rid of light middleweight. Um, female boxing took off. And so boxing in the Olympics only had, I think it was 15 places and it was 12, or oh, sorry, uh, 12 places. And I think it was already. 11 or 12 men's weights so they had to get rid of one to allow a couple of women's places in there and they got rid of 71 kilos they moved 67 kilo up to 69 and they, they, the next weight up was 75 and i was too small for 75 and i was too big for 69 i couldn't have made 69 because i was killing myself at 71 so i turned pro but yeah that then just that complete upbringing that i had with, with boxing with, with my family with the thunder with setting them little goals which which are massive goals but you know the, the, compared to what i ended up ended up doing in the end they, they were all you know reasonable and, and, and i reached the targets and and i hit them little goals on the way and that sort of set me up for the road on the pros it's a totally different sport totally different game different setup different you know attitude but nine times out of ten a good top amateur will do well in the pros as opposed to kids who haven't had a good amateur pedigree yeah, because I was going to ask you, like, obviously, boxing and footy, like, obviously, this is a footy podcast, but it's a completely yeah. different mentality, isn't it? You've got to, with boxing, I suppose, you've got to, you've got to think that you're the best, but also kind of always be on on the look, how to kind of always improve, and obviously, looking around, seeing who's there, who who your competitors are, and um, do you, what was that step up like for you? Like, like you said, you, you've just you've kind of just touched on it there. But like, what was the step up? Like, like you said, you were hitting those little goals. But what was yeah. that step up to professional? Obviously, two thousand three, you, you began your professional boxing career after being picked up by Frank Warren, and you had a fight against Howard Clark at the MEN. How did you feel going into that one? Because I think at the time you're only twenty, so you were still still a young lad and still still learning your trades. Really, you're still learning your boxing. Your boxing yeah. skill and whatever obviously you've like you said the rotunda stuff in, in in your youth and whatever and and, and all the stuff that we've just t- touched on with commonwealth and whatever that's hugely invaluable to what you were to, were to become as a boxer but how did you feel going into that first fight were, were you just kind of like were you a bit nervous or were you just kind of like eager to prove how good you were to to, to the world both. I was shit myself, but I wanted to show people how good I was. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified, as as ninety nine percent of boxers are and will be. You just don't sort of say. You have to use the nerves. You have to channel the nerves and, and use them for you. And, and I like being nervous before a fight. If I'm not nervous before a fight, if I ever wasn't nervous before a fight, then I'd have something to worry about. And it was. It's um. It's hard to explain. I've just touched a little bit on it. Where you, you see kids in the amateurs and they lose out to a fellow who's a bit more mature and thinks, so "I'll just turn pro." Because they, they see a couple of these YouTubers doing it now, or they see, you know, the mate down the old turning pro and fighting on a small old show, getting a couple of hundred quid and a ticket deal, and it doesn't work that way. You're not, you, you, you're not really going to make it that way. It, that's the hardest route possible, and the better you do in the amateurs, the easier you make it for you to get a good jump start in the pros, basically. So I had a Commonwealth Silver and AB title, so I've got more money to turn pro. 
and got more money per fight and I got signed up by the top promoter at the time in, in Warren. And I approached Billy Graham, who was training with here at the time, and asked him would he work with me through Andy Oligan, who was a Liverpool fighter who, who would work with me before, and he recommended it to me, and I loved the way Hatton fought. I didn't want to fight the, the same way as Hatton, because I had a different body type, different different attitude, but I'm, I'm more of a, a, a fighter than a boxer, and a box puncher, and I thought he'd, he'd, he'd have brought the best out of me, which, which he was a very good trainer. So I, I sort of, I watched these kids, and they're losing out, and then they're thinking, oh, I'll just turn pro. My debut was against Howard Clark. He hadn't won a fight in, I think it was 20 odd or something. He'd lost on the bounce. But he fought for a world title in Las Vegas against Fernando Vargas when he had a bit. And them 20 fights only came over an 18 month period. So 18 months ago to two years ago, this fellow's fighting in Las Vegas for the IBF middleweight world title or like middleweight world title. And my trainer at the time, Billy Graham, said to me, Look, I don't want you to take it with him. And I know about it now more because I'm older now and experienced and I, and I get it now and, and what he was what he was trying to get at and what I said and what I touched on earlier, the, the story will all make sense now. He said, Paulie's my mate. I, I, he knows me, he respects me, I like him, I like he likes me. If I'm in the corner against him, he'll try his best and he won't come to lose, he'll come to win. And I remember thinking at the time, well, if I can't beat him over four rounds, then what am I doing pro? And he asked me to... to pull out or change the opponents. I'd sold 300 tickets. It was on a Ricky and undercard. I just said to him, look, Billy, you know, I don't want to get into an argument this early on. We could eat before the even four, but if I can't beat him, do what I've just done in the Commonwealth Games final two fights ago. We last two amateur bouts were against John Pascal and Andy Durrell. Both of them ended up winning world titles throws. Both of them done very well. They were top sandwiches. They both went to the Olympics. I think they both medals at the Olympics. So that That's what I'm getting at with the, with the pros, the amateurs. If you're a top amateur, you're up there. And you turn pro and you're back at the bottom of the ladder. You've got to work your way back up again. But your last two fights were against top-class internationals. And these fights are against the journeyman who hasn't won one of the last 20 odd fights against people who've only had like five, six, seven fights. No one fought him in his debut before me. A couple did after it, but it was a tough fight. It was hard. It was like a bit of a baptism of fire. The three-minute rounds were, were, were brutal at the time. I remember it because we only did twos in the, in the amateurs. We did four twos. And... Um, no air guards was weird. I remember clashing into them by accident and big bump on me. But I remember thinking, how oh, that hurt? And you don't really feel nothing in, in, in the fights because of the adrenaline. But it was just weird getting an English one without the air guards on. That's, that's what I found weird. It was in the MNE and it was, it was um, which me last night, you know, the final against Pascal was in there in the semi final of Commonwealth Games. And there, so like familiar. And um, I loved every second of it. Absolutely loved it. But I remember like, running to the referee at the end just in case, like, there was a doubt that I didn't get it because just you can't score it while you're fighting. Even though I won every round, I just you still don't know. So my lads always take a piss out of me and said I had a life and death in my debut with our Clark. Like, but it was a it was a great experience. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, like you touched on there, like it, the the different of opinion of who you should fight there. Like, obviously, I, I didn't know that till you've just told me, but. Like, how does that work then? So, if 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 he's saying you don't want, he doesn't want you to fight him, and then you do, does that? I mean, what if there's like a kind of a moment where you you just don't agree? Does it does it come down to you ultimately, like who who come, you want to fight? Ultimately, it comes down to the manager and the fighter. The trainer is employed by the fighter. The manager is employed by the fighter, but it comes down to the the, the manager ultimately. The man the manager will intervene and say, "Look, he's my fighter, and Frank Warren was my manager." I'm a promoter, which is illegal in most countries apart from here. Um, big conflict of interest, but that's how it was. And it was a case of I'm fighting him with or without you. you know, and I didn't want to fall out with Billy at that stage. I didn't want to fall out with him at all. He, he's a lovely fan and really, really fond of him. But um, I just felt if I can't be saying I shouldn't be a pro. I shouldn't be turning pro. And it wasn't being cocky. But it's like it's hard to describe when when these fellas are on the telly and they've had like 50-odd fights and they've only won three of them. And the average fan in the front of the crowds or, or the fellow on the couch with his missus is thinking, oh shit, I'd beat him. They come out and they have a little feel of the kid first and they know what he's about. And they're there, to, not to lose, they're there to, to test the kid or to test the prospect. And they're there to win if they can. If they win, he might be getting four grand to fight. If he wins, he'll get 15 for the rematch or eight for the rematch or six for the rematch. And if he loses, he fights again next week anyway. Along with working on a building site all week or an office all week, that that's what them journeymen do, and it's hard. And you're in there against someone 
Let, let's I'm trying to think of a couple of examples of, of kids recently. Andy Joshua, his first fight. I remember them fighting Paul Butler. Paul Butler was a brave fella and wanted to win, but did he want to get knocked out by Anthony Joshua? No, that fan first. No, but he went in there and he'd done it and he tried his best and he wanted to fight again a few weeks later. There's journeymen in there who were taking the likes of but all, all the top fighters through the years. Let's say the ones from Liverpool, us four, Bell, you, a couple of the others who, who come through. We've all fought journeymen. Now, you imagine getting belted everywhere by... by a top young prospect and then have a fight again next week and then next week I have a fight and it takes me ages recovering because I feel like I've been literally battered by 10 different fellas you know it, it takes a toll on your body but them journeymen the tough the durable the strong and if they smell blood one little bit and they think they've got a chance of winning they'll put it on you and, and, and win and try and upset the odds get the win on the record then they'll be avoided by a lot of other young prospects but they'll get the rematch from one and the other so it's a job at the end of the day for them and it's time to survive try and get through it and the life and soul of boxing in this country because we haven't got that many boxers. In America, they have prospects fighting each other because there's more prospects coming through all the time. In the UK, it's a small small scene. There's only like a thousand boxers in the whole country together, all spread over 14, 15 weights, however many weights it is. And you can't afford to put your prospects against each other so early on. So the journey in the boss yet, they are good. And, and it's aim. Um, it's very, very misleading. The fellas on the couch thinking, oh, I'd beat him. You know, you wouldn't. I promise you, you wouldn't. And it might look that way. But I watch Ronnie O'Sullivan doing a 147, think I can do that. And I've got a table <laughs> and I go down and try and I can't pot a red. And I come back up and tell the key on the table and walk back upstairs because I'm, I'm absolutely terrible about it because they're professionals and they make it look easy. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? I think... You, you get you get always get those knobheads just going oh why the fuck's got why is he losing to him and it's like well you know what it, it's not even it's not even just like just the knobheads it's it's fellas who, who genuinely will think I'd beat him but you genuinely genuinely wouldn't because it's it's hard it's hard just to box yeah. anyone or just to punch your bag for four rounds or six rounds or it's hard to spar it's hard to do the pads but when you're in there with someone who's in your back who can win who would win and who would try the best if you get a bit of a bit of hope and a bit of confidence then. It, it's a lot harder than a young prospect is making it look. You know what I mean? And, and it's not like, it's not just, he is the knobheads that do, but it's not just the knobheads. There is genuinely some fellas in the house thinking, oh, I'd probably beat him, but it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, well, uh, they're out on fucking Pot World on a Saturday night, just <laughs> just throwing with fucking haymakers at people. Like, yeah, uh, that's the thing. I've, I've, never, I've never been in a fucking uh, boxing gym in my life, but I appreciate, like, the craft for what it is like it is a game of chess and it is a 90% in your head you've got you've got to be mentally correct and you've got to be mentally ready for like you said you're, you're coming up against the in, in your first professional fight someone who like you said who's lost a lot of fights but there's a pressure on him but there's also pressure on on you as well to kind of yeah. make a name for yourself and to go in there and kind of go well like like you said like the the questions beforehand about if, if you should fight them or not you want to go in there and make, make a statement don't you and that's, that's, and you that's, don't that's want to get into that into that situation of oh he was just a good amateur but he couldn't have had the pros yeah. that, that that's on your mind as well when you're turning pro but it's it's all you know it's all different for different people and different types of fighters as well but it's great i love it i love the game inside out and, and always have yeah, that's that's boss Paul. But I, I just wanted to move on slightly then to um like yeah. the boxing scene at the moment and like that like obviously when you when you think of boxing, obviously you, your mind just automatically goes to the heavyweight division, doesn't it? Like and you and mm. you think of like the, the UK talent at the moment. You've got like Tyson Fury, you've got Anthony Joshua, like you said before, you've got Dillian White, you've got you've got Joe Joyce, and then you've got the likes of Alexander Yusk and Deontay Wilder and Joseph Parker. There's there's a lot of fighters out there, isn't they? Like what are your thoughts on, on, on those at the moment and who, I mean, I had a little interaction with you on Twitter who, who, would, who would win out of Fury and, and Joshua, like, but mm. who do you actually think is is the best out of those lot that I've just mentioned there? Fury. I've said it for a long time. I think I think he, he he's a little bit of a level above all of them and I think he's got the beating of all of them and, and but it's, it's, it's so it's so tough to, to sort of describe it and you can't you certainly it's going to take a, a few minutes to do it but I'll, I'll do it i'd never i'd never put money on fury beating joshua or wilder but i think he will if i had to put my house on it i'd have to put my house on fury but i wouldn't want to put a penny on it because deontay wilder is one of the biggest punches i've ever seen and you couldn't bet a penny against him he's got a chance in any fight he has with anyone 
But Fiori's a better fighter, bigger, stronger, has proven that he's beaten before and should do it again. Same with Joshua Fiori. It's one of them fights where nine times out of ten, I think Fiori comes out, messes Joshua around. He's got the size, the frame, the strength to hold him off, to, 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 to mess him around, to outbox him. And I think he's he's a better all-round fighter. But and Joshua's an absolute specimen and strong, powerful, explosive. And as tough as this sounds, he's still learning. He's still learning on the job. He's still improving. He's still getting better. And he's absolutely fantastic for British boxing and, and for, for young kids coming through as, as a role model, the way he's handling himself, the way he's performing in the ring and outside the ring. He's doing everything the right way. I just feel for me that the best out of the out of the bunch is is Fiori. And I said years ago, just before the layoff, I think he beat Wilder and Joshua. And after the layoff, I sort of changed my mind a little bit and thought I don't think he's going to beat Wilder because of the layoff. But he did, and, and he, he proved well. He got, he got the draw, but I felt he won. I felt he done more than enough, and I was very confident for him in the rematch. Although Wilder has that equaliser power. And that's the heavyweight division for you. You've seen it with Andy Ruiz. You've seen it numerous times over the years with, with heavyweights where he's been knocked out. You know, Vladimir Klitschko got knocked out a couple of times and he, he was a, a massive favourite. Same with Lennox Lewis. It, it happens, you know, because of the heavyweight division with the power. And I think, yeah, as I said, you know, I've just explained, come to me here that it's got to be Fiori. I've got to pick. But I don't like saying it because... I really like Joshua. I really like him. I know him. He's a lovely lad. He's always been, you know, not but nice to me, to my family, to my brothers, to to my dad, to to my lad, everyone. And the same with Fury. You know, it, it's just um, it's just business in it. And and if they fight, you know, it'll be a spectacle. It'll be something else to watch. It'll be the biggest fight, probably that I've seen, money generated wise since probably Tyson Holyfield or Pacquiao and and, and Mayweather and. I just hope I can I can be there and enjoy it and see the best fight and be the best man win. But I, I think yeah, I think Fury. Yeah, it's 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 gotta happen, hasn't it? Like it's it's just one of them fights that is just it's destined to happen. Like you you've had Joshua and Dillian White, which is just a a fucking like I love that fight. That was just like just haymakers getting thrown yeah. and just like people people getting knocked down and that's that's what we want to see. And like obviously Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, we also seen the same as well. And like the way Fury got up and and the way he came back from that is just was just amazing. But like there's so many there. But like I, want, I just want to touch on like obviously you, you do some commentary as well now and again, don't you? So do you think that's something that you will be involved in a bit a bit more going? going into the future because it's obviously it's it's always nice when you're there like an, a boxer who's been there done it and, and wore the t-shirt in the box and giving their opinion on stuff um yeah and no i i, I do like it i like the job it, it, it's a good job and it's it's something that i enjoy doing um, and i think i can do it well i think i can lead the fight well but it's just whether the network wants you, it's whether the, the people in charge want you, it's whether you get that work and whether you get that job. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like the football where there's a game every week and a game midweek and or there's, there's there's fifty games every week and there's fifty games midweek. It, it doesn't work that way. It, it's it's one show every other week or something if you're lucky or sometimes one one show a week and competition is is strong for it with with the fighters who, who wanna commentate and wanna be pundits and wanna be on the telly or want to learn or, or want to do whatever they want to do. So it's something that I do enjoy. It's something that I, that I like doing, but whether I do that or not in the future, you know, who knows? It's one of them things. Sometimes you just get a bit to that stage. Sometimes like I'll probably add a little bit now, to be honest with you. It's worth washing my hands and boxing all together. As soon as me and McCallum are done, then I'm done. I've given 30 years to it. And it's been a long time, you know what I mean? It, it's three quarters of my life that I've, that I've given to boxing and, and, and being involved in boxing and being around boxing and in, in gyms and, you know, the people in the scene and everything about him. I think a, a nice clean break would be a bit refreshing at the moment. I've got a um, got a big property development with, with the council at the moment and trying to trying to get a, a gym and some good housing built down in Kirkdale. And if and when that's ready, it'll take a lot of time off me and it'll take a lot of my time up. So I think I'd, I'd like to put all my all my energy and focus into that. But you know, never say never. It's one of them. It's one of them sports. I've had a good relationship with Sky. I worked with Sky for ten years, commentating, and then. I left in the end, it was just getting a bit, not really my scene and not my cup of tea, you know, where I felt like I was telling the truth and it wasn't really being valued and, and I felt like there was a little bit of an agenda in there with it. So 
just wasn't my my thing. So the Sky, um, with the development for the zone, um, for the British shows, which before Matt Hume has, has made the switch over, and I really enjoyed that. That was good. It was um, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air because they just want the honesty and they just wanted the, um, you know, the truth being told and just say what you see, which which I like and that's what I like about the fights, um, but. Yeah, at the minute I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be much, much done in the future. Yeah, I mean that's commendable. I, I, I lived in Kirkdale for a couple of years myself, so I, I mean, applauded to you for for trying to get involved. And obviously, I've seen a few, um, a few news stories. Like I had a little look today to see what you were what, obviously more involved in. Um, it's, just yeah, take, it's just taken a while. All the problem with COVID, yeah. COVID stuff slowed it down massively, and the problem with the Liverpool council, the problems that they had, that that slowed it down massively. But it'll work. It, it, it's great for the area. You know, me, me, but doesn't care. A top class gym facility that we can sort of. I don't want to sound cheesy and sound a bit, you know, snobby saying this, but it's, it's sort of leaving something, leaving a bit of a legacy apart from just what we've done in the ring. It'd be nice to do something outside the ring and nice to do something for the area. You know, the, the gym will be top class quality. It'll be it'll be a, like top class youth facilities and like a youth club. We grew up in the garden. You know, we we grew up in youth clubs and. Little to play snooker, tennis, darts, table tennis, everything in there, football, you know, everything we did was in youth clubs, uh, uh, in the youth club, and we, we grew up in there. And, uh, and the kids nowadays, I live in Alton, I'm a bit of a woolly back now, and my lad is getting stopped by police up here and told to move away from the front of the shop. He goes to the park, he gets moved out the park. And you get dickhead busies dragging them in the car, and not all busies are dickheads. The majority are all right, but this there's a couple around here. Yeah. It's like, where do you where do you want the kids to go? He's in the park, and you're moving yeah. them on from the park, and then he's in the park playing football, and he's come and moved them on. And the nice kids, they're polite kids, they're really good kids. They go to school around here, and they're, they're genuinely good kids. And I feel like saying to these police after the time, you want to try going down Kirkdale on it, and try and move kids on from there and see what happens there. Because these these are these are absolute diamonds compared to what after kids were like when we were growing up. You 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 you'd have had a, you know, a bad time with after kids that 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 were growing up around when we wasn't careful. But these kids are dead nice and polite and well spoken, and you just sort of treating them like shit, moving them on. But the point is, they've got nowhere to go. And even if even if the youth club that we have has got full of Xboxes or Playstations, it's still somewhere that they can go and they can belong and feel feel like they belong there and they're welcome there. And they're out of bother, they're out of trouble. The boxing club and the bo- or the boxing gym, sorry, the boxing facilities. Boxing keeps kids off the street and gets kids off the street and changes people, kids' lives around. And it can do it and it's being proven. And time and time again, I'm not saying we'd have ended up on the wrong side of things, but it helped us massively. And it, it, the discipline, manners, respect, everything you get from boxing. My own lad started it now and I didn't want him to. I didn't want him to fight, I didn't want him to, to, to be getting punched. But he started it and... and and buzzing like he's doing it for everything that we got from it, all the discipline, man's respect, as you say, and and, and then you get a chance to travel the world if you're good enough at it and, and represent your country, win titles, and it gives you that sense of pride and self-care and self-respect. Wait, it helps you on the path to, to later on in life, whatever you want to do. I've got loads of mates who, who are boxing where they didn't turn pro, but they thanked the boxing club for everything that, that it gave them growing up. There's a, there's a couple of fellas who come back and sponsor the club, and successful businessmen, successful property businessmen and, and really successful they come back and they, they sponsor the club all the time and they, they tell you straight that I wouldn't have had nothing for us off that boxing gym. You know, it, it, it turns their lives around and that's what boxing does. So it, it, it's great for them and if we can get that sort of done, built, finished and then provide a lot of good quality hours and again, which, which I'm, I'm, I've been trying to do for two and a half years now, then I think it'll be massive for the area. I think the area needs a bit of investment. It never gets anything. And, you know, it, it's it's my area. It's where I'm from. I love it. I'm proud of it. I've got a got a massive big cake. One of the, one of the road signs down in, um, in my basement. I've got to get up in the garden sometime. But um, I found it in an antique shop. And I'm very proud of Cape Town. I love, I, love, I love the area. I love the place. I love its people. Uh, and I am one of them. And, and if we can do anything to, to help it, then I'm going to find my best too, which I have been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah, of course. Like when when you're in the position that that you're in, obviously you've you, you've you've put the hard work initially, but then you've you've gone on to reap the awards, and then afterwards, it you, you're more than within your right to kind of try and do stuff to kind of pr- promote that area and make it a lot better. Like I said, I lived in Kirkdale for 
about a year or year year and a half, and I know I know exactly what you mean. It's a it's a, it's a nice area, but the, the the things that you're talking about would make it a type of area where you're like, well, actually, that's 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 the place where if you want to if you want to get involved with boxing, you need to go down there. And I think if if yeah. these type of plans come off, then yeah, that's that's definitely something that would would be boss for the the future plans. Not even just Curtail, but for the for the city as well. Yeah. Definitely not far, not far from Anfield, not far from Everton's new ground. Where it's going to be, you know, if if and when it gets built. And you know, all jokes aside, that that's going to be great for the city. That'll be great for the area, and and, and hopefully it filters down the dock road towards Sandhills ways and Kirkdale's ways, and and and, and you know, give, give that a bit of a kick up the arse that that's needed a little bit, a little bit of shot in the arm. I think once once it starts, once once a bit of building starts and a bit of investment starts. The city centre is always expanding. When I was a kid, the city centre was Williamson Square. Now it's down Baltic Triangle. Now it's more towards Vauxhall Road, and it is expanding. And it, it'll forever expand, I, I believe. And I believe you know it'll only be a matter of time before it gets slowly, slowly closer towards the Eldonian, Sandhills ways, and you know further out uh, down the south end, which can only be good for the city. And then if if we can get a bit of good investment and the people can be a bit more proud of the area again, because it's it's actually being looked after and, and, and having a bit of investment put into it then they'll all they'll all pick it up themselves as well and they'll all get stuck into it themselves and looking after it. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent agree with that. But uh, Paul, yeah, I mean obviously touched on, on your career, but it's hard to talk about you without talking about all the other brothers as well. I mean I, yeah. I don't know if you're sick of that, but uh, No, no How was how was that how was that? I mean, like I said earlier, we were I touched on like what we were talking about the, with the yeah one set of gloves and you were wrapping wrapping tea towels around the other one. How just how what was that household like growing up for you? Like obviously as the as the oldest of the four, was was you kind of the go to man? Was you like the the fountain of knowledge for everything, or was it was it just what once you got those gloves on and those tea towels on, it was just no holds bad? I I was all right because I I was I was a bit bigger obviously so I, I got the better of them half the time so it was great for me I was learning they were like they were like my practice dummies but it didn't last long and um, honestly like, when you just said like it must get fed up of it, it never honestly never it's not an act with us it's it, like I've seen a few like shitty comments on Twitter having a little dig and saying oh, it's too weird that the way you design it's got to be so my brothers. We're brothers and we're very close. We do a lot together. We all we're always together. We always spend time together. We're close. We don't argue. We don't fall out. We've never fell out. We've never had a fight outside of the boxing ring that hasn't been a spa. We've never had a fight where we've sorted that out in the boxing ring. It doesn't happen, and it won't happen. And we're family. Uh, that's like what's hard to, to get across. We're not a group of mates. We are mates, but we're brothers. Uh, and. It's, it's it's unthinkable to think that we like we'd fall out that way and we never have and we never will. So the thing with the boxing as well, you know, individually we've all done done well, couple better than the other two because they won the world titles and me and Stephen didn't. But together collectively as a, as a group, as brothers, you're not going to see what we've done in a, in a long, long time in this country, especially. And I'm not being big-headed saying that I never used to say it like that when I was fighting because you can't sort of believe your own bullshit you can't believe your own hype but now I'm retired and I've been retired a few years and I can take a step back and look at it I can do it with pride now when I look and think look what we achieved and, and look what we're still achieving Callum's moved up to light every now could, should and probably will win a world title that weight Liam's getting another crack at a world title with a bit of luck or, or he's going to be, be in, a, in, a, in a mega fight the big, big fight with with Jesse Vargas and, and I've got a chance to, to be a world champion again. Stephen's just announced his retirement and he did what I did and left it a while so you don't get that call back in or you don't get that call for one last fight or for one last payday. If it's done, it's done. And, you know, as a group, I couldn't sort of, I couldn't be more proud of me brothers and if, if I wasn't a boxer, I'd be, I'd probably be more proud of them, um, you know, because I couldn't do what they can do. But because I can do what they can do, I sort of respect them even more because I know how, how hard they've all worked and how, how well they've done. And I was just the elder brother. Just look by age. I went, I went into a boxing gym and they followed. If Stephen was the eldest, I'd have followed Stephen. And I think we'd have all ended up boxing anyway. I think he'd have made that choice. If Callum was the eldest, he'd have made that choice, I think. And the rest of us would have followed. That, that's it. It's just, it's just by luck on that one that I was, that I was the eldest. Um, 
and it was just by luck again, not to sound cheesy, that I've got three brothers like them. They're, they're, absolutely, they're absolutely quality, the gentlemen, the good family men, and, and, and they're, they're very, very good at the job, but more importantly, they're decent people and they're good people. And ask anyone who knows them properly, and they'll, they'll tell you the same. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's like you said, it's luck of the draw, but like, like you said, like Stephen, three years younger than you've got, you've got Liam, who's nearly five years, and you've got Callum, who's seven years. It must have been even like nicer that you got that look at the draw, so you could go through those trials and tribulations, see how hard it fucking is to to do what you do, and like have people question you all the time, and have fights that don't go so well, and fights that do go well, and then you've, you've got you've got the opportunity to see them go through it, and you can provide that insight for what for when they need it to try and make them. A bit better in a way. Yeah, yeah, if, if yeah, if I, if I could ever help them, I always do, and and I've and, and I've done, and always will do. And I always look at it as I think Callum should be the best. The youngest should be the best. He should he should watch what the others have done, do the good stuff, copied or better, and the bad stuff don't do. And the mistakes they made don't make their mistakes, and the good that they that they did do more of that yourself and it's probably worked out that way to be honest with you. he's been the most successful he's won the big magazine belt and that that's what like, I think people in this city won't realise until you know he's gone or he's packed in and retired but he's the number one super middleweight in the world he won the big magazine belt there's probably only been 10 fighters from the UK that have ever won it I think if, if I remember rightly and they're all top draw the fighters that did it I think you know Hatton and Fury and about, over, over the years in the past I think I think so I think um, you know there's, there's been a few very good fighters that have done it, but but he, technically and on paper he's the most successful fighter from this city ever. I think Conti was absolutely brilliant, and, and we've got so much respect for him. I certainly have, and he was a great fighter. And, he, and I've watched the old tapes, and my dad loved him. My dad used to tell me about him. He said he was the first one who started not in the Yanks back and using the air and uh, with them and. I always used to you know, admire him, respect him, Andy Oligan, Paul Hawkinson, Shane Aerie, all, all the tough fights that have come from the city. But Callum on paper is the most successful out of the long because of what he won and what he's achieved in the boxing ring, being WB champion and ring magazine belt. Um, and I think that'll get appreciated a lot when we're done. I always say if, if maybe if the four of us were from London, it'd be spoke about a lot more. I think if you'd have four brothers all competing in the England rugby team or England football team or you know a Premier League team or first division team or whatever it was if you have four brothers all competing at a good level in a different sport it wouldn't be you know you wouldn't have the last of it but I think because it's boxing maybe a little bit of the Liverpool thing I'm not playing the violin it, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me you know what I mean but it's um it's something that we've spoken about and appreciated a lot more but maybe it will when when we're all all done and all retired I think so I 100% agree with that I don't think you I don't think you're playing the violin or anything. I, I, I genuinely believe, like, obviously you're 38 and you've got Callum who's 31, like, and then obviously St- Stephen and Liam as well, who, yeah. like, that doesn't happen, does it? That do- just doesn't happen, that four brothers all make it pro and all do, obviously, like I said, some some do better than others. Obviously, that's bound to happen and some, some are, like I said, <laughs> but, like, obviously Callum's progress, like, he was he was... He was twenty-seven and zero until he fought Canelo last last December, and I, I watched that fight, and I was obviously absolutely fucking rooting for him to to batter him. And obviously Canelo is just he's just a beast, isn't he? But yeah, he'll be back, won't he? Like he he's too good not to not to bounce back from that, isn't he? Yeah, that's the thing that he always wanted to retire when he was thirty. And, and oh really? He, he, yeah, he said, he said it from yeah. from early on, from the minute he turned pro, I'm done by the thirty, and I don't want to be fighting on after thirty and get in. Win as much as it can, make as much as it can, and get out. And great attitude to have. But sort of COVID sort of changed all that, changed everyone's plans. I think everyone lost eighteen months or two years with COVID at careers. It finished our Stevens' career. He would have had a couple more fights, and it just left him with no way to go. Where you're not in the gym, you're not training because you can't be in gyms. You've got to train in your garden or whatever it is. And I think he just hit the stage where he just thought, "I can't be asked no more. Now. I'm done." And so I think that's why Callum's going to have a goal, but Callum doesn't have to put a glove on again. He doesn't have to step up in the gym again. He's, he's, he's secure for the rest of his life. Was before the Canelo fight, but that proves that he still wants to win things and still wants to do it. It's, it's certainly not for the money. Not, he wants to be a, a world champion of two weight. He wants to be the best he can. He wants to push himself and squeeze every bit out of it and see how good he can be. And I admire him for that because you know, it, it's hard. It's hard sport, obviously, and... and 
moving up to light heavyweight. He's got the frame for it, but the biggest, stronger, uh, and, and good fighters. I don't think any, any of them will be as good as Canelo, as Liam knows and, and Callum knows. Um, but I think he can be a world champion at light heavyweight, and that's what he's going to try and go for. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's 31, so he's the same age as me. So it's like seeing his rise has been obviously tremendous. I've, I've, I've loved it. I've loved, loved watching all of his fights. And he, he's been, like you said, he's technical, but he's also powerful. So he's, he's got he's got both both sides of it, really. And he obviously mentally is as strong as anything. So, um, is, but I was going to ask you, is there any, I mean, after we've talked for 40 minutes here, but is there any pressure from, from you, Stephen and Liam, in terms of, don't quit! Don't quit too soon, or like, like, like you said, he wanted to quit when he's thirty. But uh, has there any been any conversations where you say don't don't give in too early and maybe to keep going until for a, for a few more years? No, he he tell us to fuck off. To be honest with you, same way, <laughs> same same way we would if, 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 they, yeah. if they if they just said to me, "Fight on," and I have plans, then you know, no, and same the other way. You no, know, at the end, that I knew it was the end, but. You think I can fight him and get a few quid there? And the the first to say, no chance. You know, that's it. We always said we, we'd stop. If it was too, if you were too old, you felt your age, then the others wouldn't let you fight anyway. But no, like I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell him to retire because he hasn't shown any signs of aging. He hasn't shown any signs signs of being finished or or plateauing or, or being shot or, or taking a shot any less. He's lost one fight and it was against the best in the world in Canelo. And he was beating himself up and kicking himself a little bit saying he just couldn't get going. And, and that, that's what Canelo does though. He stops you doing what you do well. You look at the football, all the best teams, they won't let you play your best game. They nullify what you do and then they do what yeah. they do best. And that's what Canelo is. He's the best in the world. And he just didn't let Callum do what he did best. He, he took his best asset away from Callum and, and, and won the fight fair play to him. No, it, Callum's going to not beat himself up over that too much, get, get back on the oars, so to speak, and get back in there. He's changed a few things, he's changing his training, he's changing the setup, and it's no one's fault but his own why, why he lost the fight. He's not blaming anyone at all, but it's just a little bit of a change, a little bit of a fresh start, and go out of it again and try and crack a, a, a 175. I'd like to every time and become world champion of that way, but yeah, I don't think any of us will be telling him to fight on, you know, it, even if even if we was, we, we're not going to get out out of it, you know. I'm not going to attempt to go and fight someone else for a few million quid so I can get a few quid out of more. It doesn't work that way. He's, uh, <laughs> if he, he fights for as long as he wants to fight. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair play. I just thought I'd, uh, I'd ask that. But, yeah. uh, Paul, I mean, I don't, I don't want to take too much of your time, but before we move on to the Reds, obviously, we're, it's, it's a Liverpool FC channel, a fan channel, so we, we like to talk about the Reds. But before we get on to that, I just want to talk about something that, something that people might not know that much more about but your music career i mean i don't know if you want to talk about this but there's, you a, there's, a, bit of shit, there's a bit of shit on wiki what, what, what's false about it I'm saying like i love one of the scarlet tunes i've worked with mike doing a little bit of a, a couple of remixes here and there and i used to dj with him in, in in society and a couple i've worked in a couple of other clubs and that um, and I, I dj'd for years and, 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 I, and i loved it so i've had a little hand in, in making two different uh, tunes with Mike Descala, who's now Camel Fat, um, uh, with Dave Whelan, just two stupidly talented fellas and, and, and lovely lads as well. Um, Whelan is one of the worst blues you'll ever meet, the most bitter blue you'll ever meet as well. So it's nice, nice giving him <laughs> a stick over that. But he, he, they're such talented, talented lads and, and doing absolutely brilliant. They're touring everywhere, they're touring America, they're touring all over Europe, and they're household names in, in, in the music scene now. And good on them, you do the Grammy nominated. You know what I mean? And that, that's, that's some goal for two kids from Liverpool who just love music and, and are, are talented, as, as I said. But yeah, there's a bit on my me, on me wiki page about the music, but a bit of it's not, not true, but a couple of bits are. And I did used to DJ and I love it, yeah. But I love any music. I listen to it and everything. I get some stick off the family for it, off my brothers especially, but I listen to it and everything. I've been listening to um, Chris Stapleton recently. He's a uh, new country singer. And he oh, he's fucking, yeah, I fucking love him. Qu- voice is unbelievable. Just, I just heard one song. I thought, wow, so who's that? And I just Googled him, downloaded his album, stayed away. He's brilliant. But then I'll go from that to Anita Franklin or some or, or some type of Motown stuff to yeah. Foo Fighters, Kings of Leon. I've just got like a, a big wide taste in music, but I love music. I mean, 
it's um, music, football, boxing, and all sorts of ties together, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, well. Let's put the wiki um, rumours to bed then. So, like, what I read today was that you co-wrote Better Than Life back in 2004. Yeah. Is, that, is that true? No. I don't know why that's on there, to be honest. There might have been <laughs> someone called Smith, Smith on, 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 on the credits with them. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's another Paul Smith. Maybe no. I remixed um, Fallen Stars, uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall, Boy Me Tail with Mike, and I remixed a Foo Fighters song, uh, Best of You. What we call the confessions, and I did a couple of them. Um, and I just played it, used to DJ in, in like society gardens and people in the clubs. I've DJed in Kareem a couple of nights, and what we've had put nights on in there, or someone's put nights on in there. I did the society reunion the other week, to be honest with you, about a, about a month ago, and loved it. It was great, um, even though it was a bit like substance. And but there's another one at the end of the month, I think, that I'm playing on, so I'll enjoy that because it should be a, an, another night, uh, playing all the art stuff what we, what we used to play years ago. Yeah, I love the music and I, I love that side. Like the, the music producing is absolutely brilliant. I'm not, I'm not clued up on it whatsoever. But you know, just sitting in in the studio having a tiny bit of input with someone as, as great as Mike Descala was, was um, a pleasure. Yeah, to be honest, like I read that about the better than life, and I was like, wait there, what's this tune? So I threw it on Spotify. I was like, fucking hell, what a tune this was! I was like, fucking hell, Paul, you co-wrote this. See, that, so. that, that's <laughs> what I'm saying about Mike Descala. The fact him. That's him as well to beat with um, uh, Chris Henry and Ian Redman, and they did that for must have been about ten years or something. And he's left that. He's done bits with Dave Wheel and under the name Wheel and the Scarlet. And if 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 the story's right, if you remember the story right, he shows it off to the last of people out in the world. They were trying to get breakthroughs Wheel and the Scarlet, but they had them labelled as you know, well that's your type of music. That so. I think they set a company up in Mexico somewhere, or they started using these Lucha Libre Mexican masks, writing music under a different name, a pseudonym called Camel Fat, and sending it around everywhere. He got signed up straight away, and then they actually tell well, that it's actually us, you know. And it sh- again, it shows you a bit how fickle they are, but they were they were made up to music and how good it was in in the. Um, and it was them too, but they're brilliant, they're talented, and they're very good at what they do, and. Um, I think I could probably be doing that for 20 years and not get anywhere near them and what they've done, but I love it. I, I do, I really do like the music and, and the DJ, and that's a good little getaway and a good little break from, from the boxing. But, like, yeah, like you said, like if you're doing one soon, I'll, I'll fucking, I'll definitely get down there if you're doing it like 100%. Because, yeah, I mean, that was just like back in the day, that was just like the, the tunes, weren't it? Like that, that type of dance, that, that dance music was just like synonymous with like Liverpool, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Like fucking Scouse House and all that, like back in the day, yeah. that was just like yeah. that was just it was just they, boss, wasn't they, it? Were, they were good at all that, yeah. I used to play a bit of the lighter stuff or more more funky house stuff and a bit lighter than that, so and that's what I used to play. No, it's boss that honestly, but um, yeah, we've. I mean, I'm hoping everyone's stuck through the video forty eight minutes, but we're, we're now gonna get <laughs> to, the, to the to the actual the actual Liverpool FC stuff. Um, Paul, I'm just like. Just go straight in with the most generic question ever. What have you made of Liverpool since since Jurgen Klopp came in came into charge back at six years ago? Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, best things to slice bread. Give anything to meet the fella, but I'd want a picture with him, and I know he doesn't do, doesn't do them. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to just shake his hand. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Uh-uh. As a fella, as a man, you know, the more you learn about him and the more you read, the more you see the way he is with his, you know, his political views and everything else. It's, it's, what's not to like about him? You know what I mean? He's absolutely brilliant. Breath of fresh air, and I know it's a big statement, but one of the best things that's ever happened to the club. We were in a dark place, we were in a bad place, and we, we, we could have just dwindled down and dwindled down and, and, and I'm not take the piss saying this and become Evan. You know what I mean? Because we could have. We could have just gone the wrong way. Yeah. They had enough them Americans would have had enough soldiers and, and, and all of a sudden you go down or downhill. And we've been thirty years about winning the league as it was, you know what I mean? So for him I doubted a couple of things he did at the start. I doubted a couple of his decisions, I doubted a couple of his signings. I remember seeing Manny coming and thinking, Why are we going back to Southampton? I remember seeing Salah coming and thinking, couldn't make her at Chelsea, couldn't make her at Chelsea. What what anyone think he's gonna make it here? And I've been, I've loved having egg on my face and being proved wrong with them. Um, 
remember seeing Andy Robertson. Why are we buying a player from Hull? I, I, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never doubt the fella again with any signing or any, 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 any decision that he makes. And he's earned that right. Um, he's earned that right for shitty ass fans like me to, to not be able to, to criticize any decisions he makes or question any decision he makes because he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think even like. Now, when like we're, we're linked with players, it's like, well, why what, people are saying, why are we linked with him? It's like, well, surely he's got fucking enough credit in the bank now. You sound like you said, Andy Robertson, eight eight million pounds. Like that is that's going to go down as one of the best ever, one of the best signs <clears throat> ever. Yeah, literally, literally. But like signings and obviously winning winning a Premier League. I mean, we touched on before about like the boxing and. What 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 you and and the other three of your brothers have done for for the city of Liverpool in terms of making put putting our name on the map so to speak and then you then you look at footy and then us not winning the Premier League for for thirty years and then like you said Jurgen Klopp is just like the absolute fella who's who brought that home and it's a shame we didn't get that parade that we deserved but obviously the year before that we got the Champions League parade and yeah. It's 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 amazing, isn't it? What just what he's brought. I mean, he's kind of an amazing manager, an amazing coach, but he's also kind of just got on board with everything that Liverpool is yeah. as a club and as and a city, hasn't he? Yeah, no, I, I, I suppose you know again, I'm not being big at the Saints, but it's hard not to with this city in it. We get a bad rep, we get a bad name around the country because they just don't get us, and, and that's why we get the bad name because other cities just don't get us and what we're like and what we're about and what people are like and. You get bad names and bad reputations for being maybe bad people or robbers or this or that. And it couldn't be any more opposite. You know, I, I know what it is and I know why it is, but I think he gets it now. And being here for that long, he, he gets the city and gets how it is. And as I say, it's hard not to, isn't it? You know, the, the, the type of people that, that we are in this city. And he'll be he'll be welcome in this city for, for the rest of his life. And, and, and as a few other managers who, who've managed in the past, and, and be, you know, He'd be applauded for, for, for applauded for that for, for for a long time for what he's achieved at the club. Yeah, I think the only thing is he's he's only got three years left on his contract, so that's that's the only thing I'm shaking myself about is that yeah. one day we've got to come to the face the facts that Jurgen Klopp's going to leave. Yeah, and I'm just like I mean people are saying like Stevie G or Gerard is going to be ready in three years' time, but. That's gonna that's gonna happen at some point, isn't it? Gerard's gonna gonna come back to Anfield and he's 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 gonna manage the Reds. I don't know if that'll be in three years' time. That might be probably more six seven years' time. Hopefully, that is when he's got a, bit, a few a few bit a bit more experience under his belt. But um, yeah, in terms of the match, then um, do you get to go? Do you get get to the match often? Obviously, before obviously before yeah. COVID turned up. Yeah, I was at the last um, last match there, the Atletico one, and. Um, I go regularly to be honest with you. I've got I've got a good mate who who go to match with all the time, and, and I'm lucky that I get that, that I get to go with him and get get, get in there because I haven't got a season ticket and I, I've been going the game for years, home and away. I've been I've been so many, but it's it's hard getting in there and getting tickets, and especially with the boxing and if I'm commentating, I can't go. If I'm working the night, if I'm fighting, or one of my brothers are fighting, I can't go. And it's hard to, 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 to get to them all and, and to plan it all out. But I'm lucky with, with my mate that I've got, as I say, you know, he, he goes to the game, he's got a few season tickets, his mate's got a box. And, and so I, I get to go and I get to get in there. And I think if Stevie gets the manager's job, I'll get even more tickets with a bit of luck. So I hope he does get it. But <laughs> all, the, all the aside, I think that'll be, that'll be fantastic for him to come full circle, so to speak, and, and to end up managing the, the, the club of his dreams. And, and for Reds, it'll be, it'll be absolutely brilliant. Um, Put a lot of pressure on him, and he's got big boots to fill and big shoes to fill in, in Klopp's. And hopefully, if that's a, as it's looking, which it is, let Klopp see his contract out. Three more years of him would be great. And Steve keeps doing what he's doing up in Scotland. With a bit of luck, he'll be, he'll be more than ready as well. Yeah, and I think Liverpool always surprise, don't they? Like, we are the team of like big stories. So, like, Gerard never winning the Premier League as a player. That's just like a thing that he'll always be tarnished with, and I think he, he got yeah. interviewed and he said like he was made up that it, it happened. Yeah. Eventually, even if he wasn't involved, he was just made up that it happened, and the, the fans could celebrate a, a Premier League title win. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 it was just an amazing moment, wasn't it? That 
like obviously we we were all fucking locked up and we we couldn't go out and there was this big outpouring of emotion around field when we when we won the title and whatever else but yeah. that gives us more impetus doesn't it for 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 this season obviously yeah so we, we we've got to talk about last season because it was it was just madness wasn't it like losing Van Dijk and Gomez and then Matip and then Nath Phillips then like we. Nat Phillips is the reason. Yeah. This is the reason this video is happening. Nat Phillips, so he's 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 the absolute guy. He's a colossus. He was fucking amazing in in that running towards the end of the season. And you've got lose six at home at Anfield in a row, beating Man United at their own in their own backyard for the first time in seven years. Allison scoring a ninety plus five minute winner against West Brom and fucking Sam Allardyce was fuming about it. And then going on to finish third, it. it was just it was just the most. Crazy season, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think the reason that ended happened is because everyone was probably the same as me and probably yourself. But Alison's going to score here, and I think everyone probably just said it at the same time. The minute he started running up, it was either he's going to score here or what's he doing running up? He's not going to score, and, and I just I know what I had an hangover on my mother-in-law's couch. We all been my mother-in-law's. She lives up in Southport, and they were all in the kitchen. Do the host, and I was sitting on the couch, lying on the couch, like feet position with a bit of an angle. <laughs> and I jumped everywhere, screaming everywhere all around the living room. And um, yeah, it was something else, honestly. It was, it was my lad ran into the I jumped everywhere. Just some goal, just just Allison goal. Like when when we won the Champions League, saying about the parade, going back to that, I was in New York at Carnforth the same night. So we couldn't go to Madrid. I couldn't go to Istanbul because of four or five days after it. So I watched the first half in Orries on County Road and then some Bob shite Evertonian all the champagne at half time at the bar and I got off because I wasn't of strangling them, got off <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and I had a run to do so I went back to I went back to my flat, started to get my sweat gear on then Gerard scored that header so I thought I'll just wait and then the second goal went in and I just thought I'm staying now I sat down again and then three all uh, Alonso and I thought I'm going back up to all these. <laughs> but stayed in the house, but the pens. And then went into town, didn't even do me room at the time. But the lads drove into town, stayed sober, obviously. The Madrid one, missed that, couldn't go again. We were in New York. So we watched that in Carragher's bar in the day. Jumped everywhere, screened everywhere, made up. Went back to the hotel, quick shower, quick change, then to Madison Square Garden to watch Callum. Callum won, stayed to an Irish bar over the road from where we were staying. And stayed in there till half eight in the morning. Me, and my dad, and a couple of the lads. So Callum went yeah. there. He was he, he went to bed. He was knackered. Me, Stephen was there. Craw, Auntie Crawler, um, and this uh, Irish bartender named Mo. He just just shut the door on and left us in there and just saved us all night. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> then when we won the league, I went to the ground with me lad. I said to me lad, "Come on, do you want to go down the ground?" I told her, "We might not see that again. He might not see that again." Last time we won the league, I was younger than him. He's 14 now. I'm thinking you might not see this again because I, I didn't think when we won the league in, in, in 1990 or 89 90, I, I wouldn't see it again. I used to have the video, the, the review of the season, 89 90, and I watched it all the time, and all like Glenn Hussein and that type of thing. You know, they're all in plays in the team. And I, I, I never thought for the life of me that that would be the last time we win the league. So I said, Come on, we'll go to the ground. Do you want to go? And he went, Yeah, definitely. So we went up the ground, you know, a couple of the lads were there, a few of my mates were there. But met Ali in there, and it was boss just just seeing seeing people again, you know, and, and seeing people celebrating the fact that we've won the league, we, we Premier League champions, and it's that little daft monkey off your back. We've won the league eighteen times before it, but it wasn't the Premier League. And you get a deal saying, "Oh, you've only won one league," you know, and it, it, it half winds me up. So just to get to see that experience, that was something else, and bringing the people together. And then last season, I thought we'd sort of kick on, but. What happened? Finished to still finish where we finished after that. Still get to his league. That's a successful season, whether you like it or not, because of the injuries that we had. Players like Nat Phillips, who you mentioned, coming through. I was laughing. I called me lad the other day on Saturday when he played. Me lad won like three headers on the bounce, within like the one where you had it clear and it gets kicked back in, clear it and headed back in the clear. And he won three on the row. And I was laughing the head off. I said, Nat Phillips there, and he started laughing and carried on playing. He's a centre half himself. People like him stepping up and other, other kids that have stepped up. Us as fans, who are now spoiled fans, who are reigning Premier League champion fans, whether you like it or not, you start getting a bit picky and a bit above your station. And 
expecting things from kids. And you're like, oh, God, he's not doing well here, but he's a kid and he's been thrown in at the deep end. And we, we owe a lot to them for, for this season, don't we? And them, Klopp and all these lads who, who, who filled in when, when the top players were injured. But I'm excited for next season. I hope we can stay relatively injury-free. It'd be nice. It'd be, Brooklyn the team be like having new signings, won't it, with the old players just coming back? Yeah, and like you said, fucking Nat Phillips has just been amazing. You've got Reese Williams, who's like out on like loan to fucking Kidderminster. Like it's yeah. just it's that not picture even of the you, two of them together on the last game of the season. They both got cuts and they both yeah. they both been cut to fucks. Like they just had twelve rounds of boxing and they're just like <laughs> they're walking around, they've been in the wars and they've put the bodies on the line, they've given everything for the club and I hope the club looks after them for it. Yeah, it's like I said. I completely agree with you. I honestly can't wait for this season because, I mean, Matt Phillips has been rumored to, to leave. Obviously, Burnley and there's I think there's Burnley and Brighton at the time of recording that uh, interested in him. So it's, if he goes, he goes with, blessing, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and if he goes, he'd be welcome back any time as a fan, and, and people will love him for what he did to help us. But ultimately, is he good enough for for, for what we want? And the answer is probably no. I remember thinking that with um, Curtis Jones at the start. I remember thinking. I don't think he's going to be good enough for us long term, so why not get rid? But then, over the season, I thought, no, you are going to be good enough, and I, I think he will. And it'd be great having, be great having another scouts in the team, and, and um, another another one coming through, like ten and a couple of years in the past. And I think he is going to be good enough, and got to just give them a bit of time and, and trust him what, what what he's saying, as you say. Yeah, I think I think with Curtis Jones, it's 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 a bit of a difficult one because we've had a lot of false dawns, as me because obviously we've had we've had obviously Macher and we've had Fowler and we've had Carragher and we've had Gerrard and it's like they're not just like good players, they're absolutely outstanding players, and it's like a lot of pressure on young lads coming through the the academy to kind of meet those demands. And I think like I said that I think I was the exact same with Curtis Jones. I thought, well, yeah, he looks he's tardy enough, but is he going to yeah. be? And I love and I love being wrong. Honestly, I, I've got no problem with it. I mean, yeah, Jordan Henderson, my first come, I remember thinking, I just can't see what everyone else seems to be seeing with him. And it took me a while, and I was, but I'm saying it, and I'll tell you look at the type of person I am. I'm not satisfied. I, I couldn't do what he did in a million in a million years. If I practiced and practiced from seven years of age, I'd never be as good as he is in football. But I'm watching, thinking I think there's better than you out there that we could get, and I can't, I can't see what it is. And then Klopp come, and I'm thinking, well, if you, anyone's going to do it, and it's going to be you under Klopp, because you're his ideal type of player, good engine, running, getting stuck in, distributing the ball, rock and roll football, as as they all said, and you'll be perfect. And I'm thinking, I say it as I say, the type of person I am. Please prove me wrong. I really want to be wrong about you. I hope I'm wrong about you. And in the end, I think I have been proved wrong with him, and. What he's done as a player is is, is unbelievable, and, and just buzzing that he's our captain and that he that he, that, he, that plays for us. And I think he's I think he's been brilliant, and I, and I love the fact that you know he's had this he's had his opportunities, he's had his doubters and his knockers, and, and he's come right the way through it. And, and he's respected so much all around the country now on the England team and and, and worldwide with how he plays in Europe. And I'm, I'm made up for the lad; he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think even like the Hendo story, like it's like I think it was recently. It's been ten years at the club, and it's like we are the team that provide the like those big like fairy tale endings where it's like comes to the club quite young, wrote off big big wages, big big uh, fee, and, and and he's kind of like obviously nearly went to Fulham as well, and he came back and he's then got captain from Gerard, which was. The most impossible task for anyone, wasn't it, to replace Steven Gerrard? Fucking hell, he's that's what we just said. I mean, he, that's what we just said. Big shoes to fill. He's going to have it himself now with Klopp, probably. And you know, he, he might have to learn the hard way, and he, it might take a little bit of time. But I think he'll get there. Like Henderson has, and as you say, you know, how do you feel that the, the captain he chooses Steven Gerrard? You know what I mean? He, he's your last captain, and he led by example every single day on the pitch and off it. And it's a big act to follow, but. Got to be honest with you, he's, he's actually won more than Gerard now, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. <laughs> We're in the Premier League. I mean, obviously, Gerard yeah. would have fucking loved to have done that as a player, but yeah. like we said before, hopefully he can he can come back and, and do that as a manager. That would be the most ideal and obviously like fairy tale ending for 
for him and for, for us as as big Liverpool fans. But Paul, uh, I don't want to take any more of your time. Obviously, it's been like an hour there, so um, I just no want to say thanks. I've enjoyed much, it. Uh, thanks. No, thanks for you. Thanks for having me. Been good. No worries. But uh, if you haven't checked out, obviously we've we, this is the third episode. It feels like I said at the start, it's been like it feels like it's been ages since we've done one of these. But the first one was with Harvey from So Solid Crew, big Liverpool fan. So go and check that out. Then the second one we done was with DJ Spoonie, obviously another big yeah. name. He's a big Liverpool fan as well. Don't want to add a chat with him. But uh, yeah, nice one, Paul, for jumping on. Uh, drop no us a like on the video. Comment with your views if you, if you if you want to subscribe and you can if you do if you like comment or subscribe do any of them it really helps us as a channel obviously we're we're only fifty off a hundred a uh, thousand subscribers now so we're, we're it's a it's a small milestone but for us it's quite a big milestone because it's still quite new as a channel and obviously getting the likes of Paul Smith on here who's a big who's a big name in Liverpool and a big name in the world of boxing and, and whatever else that 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 that's a that's a, a big plus for us but yeah nice one to everyone for. For listening, a nice one again to Paul for for jumping on, and we'll uh, we'll see you again next Thanks, time. Mate. All the best. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.